people you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told them, and tell you now, even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that enables him to make all things subject to himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, bless us this morning with open ears and open hearts and open minds that we may know your movement and be transformed by it in a new way today. Amen. Those answers about citizenship during the PYD um, were maybe the sermon, but it's always good to hear important things twice. (laughs) The wisdom of our children absolutely crushed it this morning. When I began seminary almost six years ago, to say I was nervous for my first day of class would be an understatement. I had earned a business degree in undergrad, and prior to that semester, my only formal education in theology or the Bible had come from my Sunday school classes at Pioneer Presbyterian Church in Northeast Ohio. I felt unprepared and light years behind. My first class started, and we went around the room introducing ourselves, saying our names, where we were from, and a fun fact. I went towards the end and introduced myself. I felt like most of the fun facts had been taken, and so I stumbled and I said, "Mm, I'm really bummed we can't have dogs in our apartments. That's not a fun fact. Fortunately, a room full of first-year seminarians is one of the more grace-filled places. You could ramble through an an introduction and share a fun fact that is not at all a fun fact. But I had decided quickly that my introduction would be my only vocal participation that day. As we finished our introductions, our professor moved to the back of the room and opened a row of cabinets to reveal craft supplies. Take whatever you'd like and spend the next 30 minutes creating a representation of your church community, we were told. My first lesson of grad school took a turn for preschool craft hour as the class sat in a circle coloring and cutting and gluing interpretations of our communities. My depiction took the shape of a colored pencil drawing on 11 by 17 printer paper. It has followed me through multiple moves since. It shows trees surrounding what many think upon seeing it is a clearing and shadows of the trees by an artist that has no perception of perspective at all. But they're pews, they're simple benches, and as soon as my parents saw that drawing on my wall, they recognized it immediately. There's a tree surrounded by these pews, a labyrinth in the back, and a simple wooden cross in front of it all, screwed to the top of a tree. It's the chapel in the woods at the church I was raised in. 
It's where I stood and sang to the congregation on VBS Sundays as a child, and where I played Capture the Flag at youth group. It's an image that comes to mind when I think about the community that first taught me that church can be different than the world. An image of a community that first exemplified resurrection living for me. In our text today, Paul is writing from prison to the church in Philippi and aiming to encourage them in their own resurrection living. As far as a persuasive and encouraging letter goes, Paul gets off to a rocky start here. He calls people out for living as enemies of the cross. These aren't people who have denied Christ. These are people who claim Christ but their actions don't follow the patterns of Jesus's actions. Patterns of continuous love, humility, and even self-sacrifice, which led him to the cross. For Paul, there is no resurrection hope without this cross and without Jesus's actions. For Paul, if we aren't living as resurrection people, if, we aren't, if we're forgetting the actions that led to the cross, the thought of Christians forgetting the example of Christ shakes Paul to his core. For many of us, our first understanding of faithful living, of living by Christ's example, and into God's call for us comes in the language of our families. Having grown up with extended family from Pittsburgh, where y'alls are substituted with yins, Yins has long been the language of my family of saints. Yins better change out of your church clothes first. Yins slow down. Yins quit sneaking candy. Yins don't go too far now. Yins come in, wash up. Yins take a seat at the table. We told Yins you'd ruin your appetite. Yins grow up so fast. Come back soon. Familiar? Though yins is not a word that has ever been a mainstay in my own vocabulary, vocabulary, the community it represents holds space for me. It holds space that I mark that I belong somewhere familiar, even if more often than not I am distant. A space that is bigger than me and would exist without me, yet that I'm so important to. Holy space that reminds me that I am small and beloved, Yins calls my attention back to the saints that taught me and grounded me and an example to something to go out from in the first place, the saints with who I share kinship. It wasn't long after my first seminary class that I began to learn about kingdom theology, a move in considering how we interpret kingdom texts like this one through the lens of community. Kingdom theology has its roots in liberation theology. Cuban-American theologian, Dr. Ida Maria Isa Diaz, wrote that the coming of the kingdom of God has to do with coming together of people, with no one being excluded and at the expense of no one. To be kin is to say that I am yours and you are mine, we draw in together and build one another up. Our lives have been inextricably woven together from the beginning. When Paul discusses the kingdom of heaven with which the church in Philippi here, he doesn't do it with kingdom language. 
He does it with citizen language. The Philippians were Roman citizens, a status they were seemingly proud of, and one that came with rights which benefited them. Knowing this, Paul calls them to a new understanding of citizenship, citizenship in heaven. For Paul, this letter, living this, for Paul in this letter, living life as a Christian is to live as an expression of Christ's example, to live not as a citizen of the empire, but as, as a citizen of God's love, to live not as a citizen of the empire, but as a citizen of resurrection hope, trusting the Spirit's movement, which calls us to live into Christ's example and invites us into kinship with one another in God's community. This living that Paul is referring to, it's living that necessarily occurs in community. To be a good citizen of anything isn't about ourselves, it's about how we care for those around us. It means we're a part of something. That first day of seminary for me was a bit of a roller coaster. Here I was in a new community where I would live and learn for the next four years. It started with my anxiety, an awkward introduction, then the familiarity of craft time, an easy conversation, straight into a vigil for justice and peace held, onto the quad, held on our quad immediately after class. Just a few days before, as I had moved into that new apartment on campus, my phone continuously buzzed with updates. A group of white supremacists had gathered in Charlottesville, Virginia, and as the night turned into the next day, growing tension led to violence, dozens of injuries, and a death. In the scene, against supremacy, stood a group of clergy, arms linked, singing and praying, grounded by their common language of faith and justice. They went out to be the church. It was risky, not knowing where they may find themselves, but they understood that the risk of staying put was much greater, so they went out. It was subversive, no meetings called for approval, no holding back for the fear of unknown optics. They went out. They went out and they were church. They were community where it was needed as an example of the greater church community, standing with arms linked to say that the kingdom that compels us to stand together for love and justice in a world such as this that is where our citizenship lies. When I think of the kingdom of heaven, I think of us all, all here and all beyond these walls. The work we're called to together requires us to go out. My pap is someone who said yins and understood that going out thing. The beloved patriarch of my family, though not related to any of us by blood, was who we came from. Pap was our people, and my own understanding of kinship would be wholly incomplete without his example. Yins be good now. Be good to each other until we see you again, my pap would say before we parted ways. He knew there was life to live and work to be done that couldn't be lived or done from under his roof. And so he sent his children and his grandchildren out, 
with all of the holy knowledge and hope that he possibly could. Yins be good now. Do good now. Because you are a citizen of heaven. It was claimed for you in your baptism and is proclaimed each and every time we gather in kinship. I am yours and you are mine. And we have work to do, but it's work to be done together. We have to live by the example that Christ lived out and Paul reminds us of. We're citizens of something greater. And so we must build and nourish and tend to this kingdom until all are free and flourishing, until all can live in love and not fear, until the day when all of God's children, woven together from the beginning, can link arms together and know that God's kingdom has come. May it be so, friends, in my life and in yours, and in our kingdom life together. Amen.